Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. When an elderly stroke victim is taken to the hospital, her family hopes that she will recover. Until it was supper time. And then we fly the friendly skies with United Airlines Flight 811. It was supposed to be a leisurely flight from Honolulu to Sydney, Australia. Instead, this plane took a detour into the world of the paranormal. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I hope you aren't boarding a flight anytime soon. Even though I'm sure a lot of you are, you're going to be traveling to visit your relatives. This is actually, now that I think about it, this is not a good episode. Before some of you are going to see your elderly relatives, you're like, please don't go to the hospital, mama. And that was dark. And then people are going to be flying planes. This is a horrible time. Horrible time to do this episode. But someone who knows how to turn a horrible time into lots of fun. Everyone get on your feet and give it up for Kara Hannah. Woohoo! Yeah, come on in, Kara Hannah. Walk on into Dead Rabbit Command. Kara Hannah bought me a book off my Amazon wish list. It's called The Unidentified Mythical Monsters, Alien Encounters, and Our Obsession with the Unexplained by Colin Dickey. Thank you very much for this. This is really cool. I haven't had a chance to read it yet. My friend Sabine's been reading it. Basically, the thesis of the book, at least what she's gotten so far, is that the world we live in has been stripped of wonder. We have answers to everything. We have answers to everything at the push of a button. And that is the reason why people believe so much in things that may not exist, like the world of the paranormal. And he kind of goes through it like that. It's fascinating. This is a really fascinating theory, right? We do. We, we are in the age of conspiracy theories. Conspiracy theories was relegated to the weirdo at the trailer park. When I was a kid in the 70s and 80s, they were the lone gunmen. They were the goofs of the world. And nowadays, conspiracy theorists have their own media platforms. So super interesting. I can't wait to read the book, Kara. Thank you so much for sending it over. And that's why you're going to be our captain, our pilot today. If you guys can't support the show financially, if you guys can't buy me books, it's totally fine. It really is. I want you to believe me when I say this. You don't have to give me money to support the show. Just please spread the word about Dead Rabbit Radio. That is also how you can help the show grow. Kara, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the Jason Jalopy. We're going to leave behind Dead Rabbit Command. Drive us all the way down to Brazil. Sunny, sunny Brazil. It's going to be 11 degrees here tomorrow. Gee, I wish I wish I was really driving down to Brazil. We're headed down to Brazil. <laughs> not, not actually after this story. I think I'm going to steer clear of the country for a while. I guess I can't. I guess I can't take this story and extrapolate it to all the people in Brazil. But I mean, this isn't. This is insane. This is a. There's a lot of bad ways to die. Let's take a look at this one. It's September 2012. It was quite quite a couple of years back. What, 10 years? 10 years ago? 
We're at Barra Mansa. That is a district in Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. And Kara pulls us up to this hospital. It's the Santa Casa de Misericordia, which is the Holy House of Mercy. So we walk into the hospital and we're there to meet Ilda Vitor Maciel. So we walk into her room and there's this old lady. She's 88 years old and she's laying in her hospital bed and she's like, uh. We're like, oh, that's sad. Old people making noises like that. This doesn't look good. And then one of her family members goes, what are you doing in my grandma's room? Get out of here. Get out of here. But but then once we explain who we are, we're we're doctors, right? That's why we're here. We're doctors. He's like, oh, okay. He goes, listen, Ilda, she had a stroke. She had a stroke the other day, and she's lost all feeling on the left side of her body. But she's she seems to be doing better. Like, she's in the hospital. She's getting taken care of. She's 88 years old, but she, I'm sure she has a couple of years left. It's possible. I'm like, anything's possible, bro. Anything's possible. There's meat showers in Kentucky every once in a while. Yeah, she might have a couple of years left. She had a stroke. She's doing better. Family's checking up on her. She's in the Holy House of Mercy Hospital. And take care of her. But on September 27th, 2012, Ilda's daughter is in the room with her mom. Just, you know, keeping keeping her comfortable. Doing what she can do to help mom recover. And a nurse walks in. This nurse has only been identified by the name Anna. Anna walks in and it's supper time. It's time to eat. But apparently, I mean, she had the stroke. She's still recovering from it. She they're not like they're not like feeding they're not feeding her food. They're not like it's chicken nuggets time. She's like, ah. They have to inject it into her feeding tube. So they had some soup that they're gonna inject into her feeding tube so she can get some calories, she can keep getting stronger. What this nurse does though is she has a syringe full of soup. And I don't think it probably wasn't like minestrone or anything that was chunky because it has to come out of a like a needle point. <laughs> You're like starving to death. You're like, listen, man, just give me some broth. I know you keep trying to give me spaghettios. It's not going to work. And the nurse is like, I want to keep trying. Let me get a bigger needle. You're like, no, 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 not a bigger needle. Just give me broth. I read several news reports on this. None of them specified the type of soup. I am curious as to what it was. But the nurse, as the daughter's sitting there with her mom, the nurse has this syringe full of soup. And she's supposed to put it into Ilda's feeding tube. Well, what happens is the daughter's sitting there with her mom. The nurse has already left. The nurse has given her the soup. And Ilda starts to squirm. She's not, like, fully conversing, but she's squirming around like she's uncomfortable. And she has this weird look on her face. And she begins to stick her tongue out. And this totally alarms the daughter. She goes, I had not seen her this sick since she originally had the stroke. Like, she was on this road to recovery. Now, all of a sudden, she's, like, wigging out in bed. And she begins hitting herself. And she runs out and she gets the nurse. She's like, dude, something's wrong with my mom. Something's wrong with her mom. She's sticking her tongue out and all this stuff. And the nurse comes in. Sure enough, she's still squirming around. She's in pain. What happened 
was that the nurse, she had the syringe full of soup. She went to go put it into the feeding tube. She accidentally inserted it into Ilda's IV. So the soup went straight into her bloodstream. Within 12 hours, Ilda was dead. She passed away. The doctors found out really quickly. Like, all, all of a sudden, you imagine the nurse was all, uh-oh, SpaghettiOs. Good thing it wasn't SpaghettiOs. <laughs> you know, I don't know why I'm so fixated on what it was, this poor old woman. The, the doctors realized that, yeah, you injected straight chicken broth into this woman's arm. And her cause of death was pulmonary embolism. Which is the veins in your lungs are blocked. They're blocked by something. She died 12 hours later. And so the family's like, so basically you're saying that you killed her. You're saying that you killed her. You injected the soup into her veins. And then she died 12 hours later because she had this embolism. And the doctors go, we, this is 100% true. The doctors, the hospital goes, let's kind of meet in the middle here. Yes, we did inject soup into your mother's veins. That part is correct. If, if we could get out of admitting to that, we would. Unfortunately, we can't. We did inject soup into your mother's veins. However, that's not what killed her. The family's like, well, then what killed her? And they go, it was, it was something blocking the veins in her lungs. And they're like, could it have been the soup? Do you think it's even possible that the fact that you injected broth into my mother's veins... Could have been what killed her 12 hours later. And the doctors are like, no, it was, complete, it was completely non-soup related. Trust me, lady, I tasted her lungs myself. There was no chicken broth in them. The The, the hospital refused to, to, to take any blame for the fact that they killed this old lady. They totally killed her. The family eventually sued. And this is when it became news. So this happened back in September 27, 2012. What's interesting is they began the lawsuit almost immediately. It was like once they, you know, you figured there might be a little bit of time in between. But once the hospital started saying, we had nothing to do with this. Yeah, sure. We injected soup into your mom. They sued. And that's when it became a big story. Like, I think at first it was just kind of floating around like local. I don't even know if it was reported in local news. But once the lawsuit came out and all of these people were being named, that's when it started hitting the news. Now, what's funny is when I first came across this, I go, this is totally fake. This is not true. Not that it couldn't happen. Not that you have hospital staff that is not well-trained or they're thinking about they're thinking about what they're going to eat for dinner. They're like, oh, this make me hungry for soup. And they are distracted and they do it. Accidents happen. But I read this and I go, this isn't real. This totally isn't real. I started digging around for it. And it's funny because this is going to kind of parallel what we're talking about in the second story. I could have easily just covered, hey, this old woman got soup in her veins and then called it a day. I spent a good 20, 30 minutes reading other articles about this because I go as, I mean, listen, sympathies to the family, sympathies to the family despite all the laughing. I feel really bad for them. I'd be, I honestly would be pretty pissed off if someone, if my grandma died and then someone started laughing as they were telling the story. But it depends on how funny her death was. But I go, this isn't real. This is just some sort of fake news thing that's floating around because all the sources I'm finding on it are like morning zoo radio news websites, quote unquote news websites like K-Rock 101 out of Philadelphia. They're always running these zany news stories. The Huffington Post covered it. 
So that should tell you something. The Huffington Post either has great journalism or garbage journalism. There's nothing in between. I'm reading all this stuff. I'm looking through all this stuff. I go, this isn't real. And they all kept pointing back to a website called Hispanic hispaniclyspeakingnews.com. They kept pointing back to that. I went on that. Now it's a now it's a gambling website. It redirects to a gambling slash World Cup slot machines website. It's, it's spam, right? It's junk. It's a junk site. So I was like, okay, yeah, I can't find this. Well, eventually I did find a news report, like a straight up, here's reporters in the city interviewing people at the hospital, interviewing what I can only assume are family members. I couldn't, I didn't speak the language. But it was a legit, they were like showing screenshots of court documents in the case. And even though I don't speak Portuguese, they did say supa a lot, which I'm only imagining is the word for soup. So it does appear to be true. It does appear to be true. This poor old lady got soup injected into her. And again, even though I was able to verify that this does seem to be true, at least there was a nightly news report on it. I couldn't find whether or not they won the lawsuit because, again, it was just like this crazy event that happened. Everyone talked, not everyone talked, the New York Times wasn't running a piece on it. Fox News didn't interrupt the president's speech to talk about it. You have just all of these zany websites, zany news websites pop up, talk about it. Then wait, I can only assume that they won the court case. I can only assume any judge and any jury would be like, you injected her with soup, yes or no? And they're like, well... It's a complicated question. Technically, we did, but it didn't kill her. I'm not asking. I'm not asking that. Did you inject through a suit? And they're like, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure they won the lawsuit. It seems like a horrible way to go, too. Like having soup injected in your veins. I wonder if, when that happened, if the temperature of the soup would affect the pain level. I would imagine not. I, I don't know how many nerve endings you actually have in your veins. But if somebody injected hot soup, actually, no, I think about it, that would be way worse. It's all boiling hot versus, oh, here's soup that's been sitting out for a couple hours. You're like, I'm sure either one will do. Here, I'll get a vein ready for you. Put it. I'm sure hot soup would burn your veins. It's weird to think, like, if you don't have nerve endings, you wouldn't feel the pain. So if you put it, like, your brain doesn't have nerve endings. I saw on the movie Hannibal, I think it was Hannibal, where the guy was eating his brain while he was still alive. Apparently the brain, based on a Hollywood movie, the brain doesn't have any nerve endings. So you can beat up a brain and they'll just be sitting there. They'll be like, I don't feel anything. And you're like, but what's weird is as you were punching their brain, as you're punching their brain, they're losing the ability to speak. But they wouldn't necessarily feel their brain, but you would feel the pressure of your body. Like you'd feel the shockwaves as I'm like punching your brain. So you'd feel something, but it wouldn't be pain. It would just be extreme discomfort and losing all of your memories. So, yeah, I just think the human body is odd. And it is not um, a receptacle for soup. I've learned that as well. Kara, let's go ahead and toss you the keys to the carpenter copter. We are leaving behind Brazil. We hope that family got a lot of money. We hope at the very least the nurse got fired. But we also hope that the family got a lot of money. Kara, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys of the carpenter copter. We are leaving behind Brazil. Fly us all the way out to Honolulu. I'm trying to eat soup the whole time. I'm all, I have these syringes of soup. I'm all just sucking them. I'm like, man, this is a, this is a really effective way to eat soup. I'm just sucking on them. 
So fly that carpenter copter nice and even. I don't want to pierce my lip. It's February 24th, 1989. It's a little bit after 1 a.m. It's like 1.30 in the morning, something around there. And United Airlines Flight 811, it's a Boeing 747. Those are those big jets that are almost like double-decker. Or like the pilots have to climb up like a little ladder to get into the to get into the cockpit. The guy's like, "Oh, I have cramps in my arm today. Can you fly? Can you fly? I'm just going to be at the bottom of this ladder." They're like, "No, you got to get up here. You got to use your cramped arms to fly this plane." They're like, "Oh, I knew I should have eaten some bananas before I came to work." They're leaving. It's one of those big giant jumbo jets. This is a flight from Los Angeles to Sydney. Has a layover in Honolulu, and and that's where the plane has just departed from now. 17 minutes ago, it took off saying goodbye to the Hawaii Islands. And they got the pilots up in the cockpit. They're flying the plane. Now, there's a thunderstorm rolling in. They've let people know, hey, listen, keep your seatbelts on. There's going to be some turbulence. We're going to try to fly away or underneath this storm. Probably not underneath. It's all raining on them. They're like, ah, I know you can't fly through them. You probably couldn't fly above it. But, you know, they're letting people, hey, no, no, there's going to be some turbulence. Keep your seatbelts on. We're going to try to figure out what to do around this big storm rolling in. And pilots are flying the plane. And then all of a sudden, they hear a boom. But way louder. Way louder. Imagine that I wasn't in a closet not trying to disturb my neighbors. Imagine the loudest noise. Imagine a noise that's so loud you can hear it while you're flying a plane. That's what they heard. They heard this huge thump. And the plane immediately shakes. And two pilots are looking at each other. And they their immediate suspicion is a bomb has just gone off in the plane. And their fears are pretty much realized when they look and they're starting to see that engines three and four are damaged. They're flying this plane. The sky is dark. A thunderstorm is rolling in. And they've sustained massive damage. They have no idea what the extent of the damage is. They know something's going on. They grab the intercom. The pilots try to call the stewardesses. The line's dead. They can't get a hold of the stewardesses. They can't get a hold of the crew in the the cabin of the plane. And they're like, okay, it has to be. A bomb went off, and there must be a bunch of people dead down there. So the pilot's flying, and he tells the co-pilot, he goes, hey, listen, I'm, I'm busy flying. Go check on that. we got to figure out what happened. I'll stay, I'll stay here in the safety of the cockpit. You go and find out what in the world is going on down there. So the co-pilot climbs down the ladder, and he almost immediately sees what's going on. He's walking down this ladder, and he looks, I, I'm thinking he's looking out a window, and he sees just pieces of the plane has peeled off of the side. Like he, He's like, that's not good. That's not good. Planes aren't supposed to be inside out. I'm going to keep crawling down this ladder and see if I can get a better look at what's going on. And he climbs down the ladder and he takes a look and there's a he sees a massive hole in the side of the plane. So first it was just like, oh, maybe, maybe they did a bad paint job and it's like peeling up. Now he's able to see this huge hole. He just climbs back up the ladder. He doesn't even go any further, doesn't check on anyone in the plane. He climbs back up the ladder and tells the pilot, uh, yeah, a bomb went off. Like, it's very clear that there is an explosion down there. We better land this plane. 
But that's not what happened. That's not what happened. What really happened, and the reason why they thought it was a bomb was, one, is that it looked like a bomb had gone off, but two, this was two months after the Lockerbie bombing, which was a very famous, very tragic event where terrorists blew up a passenger jet and 270 people were just obliterated in the sky. It's still considered the worst terror attack in the United Kingdom history. And their worst aviation disaster ever. This is two months after that. So they immediately they're like, it must have been a bomb. We must have been attacked by terrorists. So let's land this plane. What really happened is far more mundane and actually a thousand times more terrifying. Let's switch perspectives. We're now sitting in the cabin of the plane. It's like 1.30 in the morning. You just left Honolulu. You're tired. You're super tired. I'm sure, like, you were having fun in Honolulu. You're, like, juggling fire. <laughs> They're like, you can't do that in the airport, bro. You're like, oh, man. You're back on the plane. You're headed to Sydney. And everyone's just kind of sitting there in their chairs. The pilot comes over the intercom and says, hey, everyone, keep your seatbelts on. We're going to be hitting some pretty heavy turbulence. We're going to try to get around this thunderstorm. When all of a sudden, one of the cargo doors near the front of the plane... These cargo, because this ma- these massive planes, one of the cargo doors on the front of the plane just ripped off. Everyone's just sitting on this plane, and the cargo door rips off, and it rips off with such force that it tears a massive hole on the right side of the plane. I mean, this hole had to have been, I don't know, 15, 20 feet tall maybe by another 15 feet wide. It's just this entire chunk of the plane disappears in an instant. And this is in the passenger cabin. One guy's account, he was there with his family. They're sitting there. When the cargo door rips off, it tears this huge hole in the plane. The first few rows, you know, this this part was coming. The first few rows of passengers... They just slid out of the plane. Like, the explosion was so great, actually implosion, was so massive that nine people sitting in their chairs, seatbelts on, their chairs were ripped out of the plane, and they tumbled into the night sky. They were gone. One woman, she goes, she goes, it just didn't seem real. It didn't seem real. I was sitting there and everything immediately went pitch black. Like once you heard this noise, you heard this horrendous tearing of metal, and then everything's pitch black. And there's white, there's these tiny white pieces. All of a sudden, they, the thousands of them, they're filling the cabin. She's just these little white things, which she goes, I, I'm guessing now, like looking back, it was probably insulation that was being pulled out and whipped around. But at the time, it was like a dream. She's just sitting there. It's pitch black. Now are the, these things flying all around her. And what she remembers is as she's sitting in this plane, her attention is drawn to the hole. And she can't make sense of what's going on. Her attention is drawn to the hole in the plane. And she looks out this hole, and what she sees is the reflection of the moon in the dark ocean below. 
At that point, the pilot calls over the loudspeaker. And he doesn't, at this point, he doesn't know if anyone's alive back there. But he calls over the loudspeaker and he says, we're going to try to get back to Honolulu. And the woman who was sitting there, who was looking out and watching the, the moon in the black ocean below her, she said, I could tell by the sound of the voice and I could tell by the way he said it, he wasn't sure we were going to make it back. Like, it wasn't like, we're going back. We're going to try to get back to Honolulu. So you're sitting there in this pitch black plane with this gaping hole in the side of it. And the pilots are trying to bring the plane down to the point where the people can actually breathe, start to breathe again. They're trying to bring the plane down very safely because when they saw the explosion, they had all of these other safety mechanisms on their plane that weren't working. They're like, we're going to have to, we have to get rid of a bunch of our emergency strategies to land this plane. We just have to land this plane. Like our checklist isn't going to work. The plane was that badly damaged and it was just like a mechanical failure. Nine people get sucked out of the plane. They just disappear. They tumble out into the darkness. What's amazing, these stories of survival that science and physics shouldn't allow. Fascinating. The, The father, the guy who was there with his family, he's getting the life vest for his kid, for his wife. His wife was sitting there. They were all in this row. The woman his wife was sharing an armrest with, she's gone. She got sucked out. Imagine you're sitting in a plane and the person next to you is dead. And you're just sitting there. I mean, the the white knuckling that must have gone on. But this dude, he's getting these life vests and they're assuming the crash position. You lean forward, kind of tuck your head in so when baggage is flying around, stuff like that, you don't get your neck crushed. His daughter puts her head in the crash position. She looks down and there's a bloodied woman underneath the seat in front of her holding on to the legs of the chair. And the family's looking at her and she is going to get sucked out of the hole. Like she's heavily injured. She's holding on, but... She's headed towards that hole. They said they could actually watch her body like slowly start to get pulled. So the dad reaches down and he grabs her and he's holding on to this woman and he's bracing himself. And he is keeping a human from being sucked out of an airplane. The decompression is still... He shouldn't have been able to do it. He shouldn't have been able to do it. She shouldn't have been able to hold on hard enough so that she doesn't get sucked out of an airplane. That's not how physics works. And when they asked him, because there's been tons of interviews about this stuff, they asked, how did you do that? How were you able to hold someone in the plane? His quote, I don't know. Nobody does. Like, it shouldn't have been possible. He shouldn't have been able to keep her from getting sucked out. But somehow, it happened. A Boeing 747 normally lands at about 170 miles an hour. This one was going 220. This one was going 50 miles an hour faster 
than they should. And the pilot, they landed this plane. They didn't even overshoot the runway. They said it was everyone got off that plane as soon as possible. It was like a record time to jumping out of a plane once it's landed. He had a lot of minor injuries. But other than the nine people who were immediately blown out, there's no other fatalities. There were rescue teams sent, because obviously they knew where this happened. They were able to retrieve parts of the plane. They have to do all that stuff, like the cargo door that broke off. They have to get all this stuff so they can analyze what happened. But they send sea and air rescue teams to go find these people, and they weren't able to find any survivors, which I think they kind of knew going in. But there's always hope. What they did find, though, as they were repairing the plane... Inside engine number three, they found tiny bits of human remains. Engine number three and four, they were both damaged during the explosion. The debris was hitting them. And investigators believe that one or more of these people, when they were blown out of the plane, they immediately were then sucked into the engine, chopped up. It's a fascinating story. I never heard anything about this. It's an air disaster where you had a bunch of survivors, a bunch of witnesses, and you're seeing what it was like through their eyes. And what's interesting, there was doesn't really seem to be there was much panic at first because it happened so quickly. Even the father, he goes, all of a sudden the cabin was just filled with what seemed to be a thousand moths floating all around me. It was the insulation that the other woman had noticed. But it was so surreal. It didn't make sense. The way I found out about this story, though, wasn't just by looking up airplane crashes on Wikipedia, which I've been known to do. There was a post on the X board a couple days ago talking about the ghosts of Flight 811. I was like, oh, this is cool. And the way that I work... So I'll read something, then I go, how true is this? I do this with pretty much everything we do. Find the most random ghost stories, and I'll go, oh, I want to see if there's any truth to this. I want to see if, if this place is actually haunted, or if the history is correct, or anything like that. Flight 811, the story that I basically described to you, is what he put in this post. And then he said, what happened after that was, no engineering crew wanted to go near this plane. No one wanted to work on it. They figured it was cursed. So what happened was a repair crew from the Vatican, there's an airline repair crew that the Vatican trains, and a bishop came out to bless the plane. They came out and repaired it, blessed it, and then the bishop himself had dozens of roses inserted into the inner walls of the engine. Is like a protection. And also, you know, remembrance to the dead. The plane was put back into service, flew normally for years and years and years, and then eventually an engineer at United Airlines was working on the plane. He's like, this is so dumb. I don't want to work on the Rose plane again. I have to go in there. It's always smelling like roses. Uh, so he decides to remove the roses from the engine compartment. He's like, roses, schmoses. Bishop, bishop. I don't believe in any of this stuff. I'm going to take these roses home. Give them to my sweetheart. So look, I love you so much. I brought you all these dead roses. 
he takes the roses out of the engine compartment and is like, I'm taking these home, guys. I'm taking, I'm getting rid of these. This is dumb. And he throws them in his car and then he leaves. He's like, I'm quitting too. By the way, my entire career here was just to get these roses. You suck, United Airlines. Throws the roses in his car and he leaves work. Then is involved in a fatal car crash. I can't believe I told that whole airline story and didn't do any special effects. It didn't even dawn on me, but I do the car crash. Real imaginative, Jason. That, that, That segment would have been 10 minutes longer. Anyways, car crash, guy dies, and when the ambulance crew goes to help him, his dead body is covered in roses. Like, through the impact of the car crash, they fell all over him. So his dead body's in the roses. And then after that, the very next flight of this plane, they changed the number of the plane. It was no longer... What was the original number? Its original registration number, 94713U. They did end up changing the number at some point. They changed the the registration number, is the term for it. After the roses were removed, the very next flight, the plane was up in the air and it hit turbulence. It hit really, really bad turbulence. And all the people seated in the rows, really the nine seats that got sucked out of the plane, everyone who was seated in one of those seats, the turbulence was so bad, they (laughs) they all bounced up at the same time. And snapped their necks on the roof. Like, the turbulence was that bad, the plane dropped. They went, whoa! (laughs) Broke their necks. After that, the plane was scrapped. The plane was straight up considered cursed. And they scrapped it. The post ends with them saying, quote, The whole story is hardly ever published outside the blogs of United Airline workers. And the fact that it was the same plane never gets mentioned in news reports. So that was really my starting point. I started looking up Flight 811, found that terrifying story. But it's interesting because reading it out loud, <laughs> I realized how stupid that ghost story was. And when I first read it, I was like, wow, I wonder if this is true. Um, uh, you know, I do the reading in my head, so I don't realize how foolish some of this stuff is. I don't know. Well, let's put it this way. I couldn't find whether or not there is a crew of Vatican technicians. You're like, Jason, that should have been your first... Red flag, I don't know if there's a group of Vatican technicians that travel the world blessing planes. I wouldn't be surprised if there was. But the rest of the story we know isn't true. There's actually a pretty good history of... We know exactly what happened to this plane afterwards. It did fly. They did repair it. They flew it a lot. It started having issues. I mean, again, the plane did kill nine people. But it started having wear and tear on it. Eventually, they sold it to a new... There was actually a great write-up in this website called airscapemag.com, which traced what happened to this plane, like, from it being built to... It It was eventually scrapped in the early 2000s. It was sold to an airline company called Air Dabia. It was a airline for the Islamic Republic of Gambia, that was started by, basically was started by this guy, and people go, where'd you get your money? And he goes, oh, a little bit here, a little bit there, you know, imports, exports. And they're like, you're an arms dealer. <laughs> you're an arms dealer, and we know you're supplying these African nations with a bunch of weapons. He's like, what, who, me? He did, he did get arrested for trying to smuggle in two Huey attack helicopters. 
It was started by this from alleged arms dealer, and it basically was run into the ground. They would load up 800 people onto a plane with 400 seats, and uh, the staff, the, the, the uh, people working on the plane, they were constantly quitting. They'd go, this isn't safe, this isn't safe. Air Davia eventually shut down, and uh, the plane ended up in New York at Plattsburgh International Airport, where they scrapped it for parts. It's an interesting story. The ghost story is what sent me off on it. So there's no... No one got their neck snapped. I started... Well, people people do get their neck snapped on airplanes. I did find a couple of stories like that, where there is turbulence and somebody breaks their neck. That does happen. But not nine people in one flight. It was really interesting. He goes, they only talk about this on United Airline Worker blogs. Who has access to those, right? That's a pretty clever way. I don't know if this guy made up the story or he had heard the story. But the ghost part of it is not true. We do know what happened to this plane after the fact. And the truth is actually more interesting than the fiction. But but I want to end it like this. I want to end it like this. As I was As I was thinking about this story, as I was prepping my notes... We've covered haunted aircraft before, and they've also been debunked. Like the very famous one about the plane that crashed in the Everglades, and then they took the microwave out of the the wreckage and put it in another, or it was an oven. They took it out of the... The airplane did crash in the Everglades, and a bunch of people got eaten by crocodiles in the wreckage. And then they salvaged the plane and then pieced it out to this other plane, and they said you could see a ghost in the oven, or there would be like a ghost constantly giving you tips on how to keep up the the jet. All of that stuff has been debunked. That was an early episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I was actually disappointed. That was one of my favorite ghost stories, and the fact that it was pretty easily debunked. I was like, aw, I'll put that episode in the show notes. Um, We have stories... Really, what I'm getting at is plane crashes happen, people die, and they do recycle the parts like this, this one was scrapped, and maybe some of the parts went on other planes. Maybe the stuff was turned into other pieces of metal. But you didn't have these people die. You have people die in plane crashes. You have people die in cars. But very rarely, this is so interesting to me, very rarely do we have accounts of haunted cars and haunted planes. We have sightings of ghosts of planes at museums. But, I mean, most plane crashes, there's nothing to recover. So you could argue that. But this plane, we did have this tragic event happen. There were no ghost sightings on the plane. There are a lot of cars where people die in the car accident where their car is salvageable. Or you can definitely take the parts out of it and put it in other cars. But we ver- I can't think of a time outside of like a phantom hitchhiker type of story. Or that story we covered about the haunted Hello Kitty doll that was at an auto wreckage yard. And the story went, there was a young woman who got the Hello Kitty doll for her birthday. And she was driving around and she was killed. And someone stole, her car was just taken to the wrecker. The Hello Kitty doll was still in the back seat. Some guy steals the Hello Kitty doll. That was an interesting story. They took it home. They apparently were haunted by it. There's video footage of someone breaking in or just reaching in and pulling the Hello Kitty doll out. Then a couple hours later, you see him dropping it back off through the surveillance footage. We don't have many accounts, none that I can really think of. There might be one or two of, that, that I just don't pop in my head, of moving vehicles that are haunted. Boats, though. There's a lot of accounts of ghosts on boats. 
but not ghosts on airplanes and cars. And I wonder, you know, we talk about the science of the paranormal. I And I kind of I think I've made jokes about this in the past. I wonder if, if a car and a plane go too fast for a ghost to manifest in. Like, is there an answer to it? Is there a logical answer to why we don't have... I think we don't have a lot of haunted planes because I think the planes explode on impact. I think most planes, when they do become inoperable, when they crash, I think the only reason they put so much work into getting this guy back in the air because it was a Boeing 747. It was like a top-of-the-line plane. So they're like, okay, I mean, we will die, but let's get it working. They weren't going to scrap it right away. It wasn't some puddle jumper that, you know, someone got sucked out of. I wonder if there's a reason ghosts can't materialize at a certain speed, which would make sense. Here's a question. It Does water freeze slower if you're riding a motorcycle? If you have a serious question, if you have a glass of water and it's below freezing outside and you're zooming down the road, the road's all icy. You're like, I'm doing science for Jason. Ah! You having all these accidents. You're the ghost now. Let's say there, let's say there's a bucket of water safely strapped to the back of the motorcycle. It's below freezing outside. You're riding your motorcycle. You're, no helmet, no helmet, because you're a daredevil. You're a real man. You're driving your motorcycle down the road. I give the worst advice. You're driving the motorcycle down the road. Would the water freeze quicker than if I just took a took a bucket of water? I see you coming. I throw it on the road. You're like, Jason, I thought we were friends. Ah! I'm like, science has no friends. Basically, is it? I wonder. I mean, I do have the internet in front of me. I didn't plan to go off on this segment. I didn't plan to kill you at the end of the episode. But I'll, I'll look it up later. But I am curious. Like, does water freeze quicker if it's still? As opposed to it moving. And I wonder if that is, would be the same thing with a ghost. A ghost can manifest on a boat. Because it's moving fairly slowly. But it couldn't manifest in a 747. Because as it's trying to. It's like three miles away. It's like yes I've manifested legs. Ah, Falling into the ocean. It's an interesting question. The world of paranormal is full of these types of questions. Like, And even though this story turned out not to be real. It really did make me think, why wasn't it real? I mean, why didn't those people get their necks snapped? Oh, they should have all all been paralyzed. Uh, you know, it's like, in the world of paranormal, it's definitely possible, but in the broader world of what we look at, where the paranormal does not sit outside of science, it does, it walks hand in hand with it. We do have to ask these questions. Can a ghost not manifest at a certain speed? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I don't think any I think I think anyone who claims to know the answer to that is probably making something up. But I would say based on the evidence I'd I'd say or the lack of evidence, I would say there might be a complication there. It might be that planes and cars go too fast. We do have the story of the phantom hitchhiker. She's on the side of the road. We and that's what's so interesting. We have stories of haunted roads, haunted bridges, but where the ghost is in the car all the time. It's a normal car, but the ghost is in the car. Not just getting in and you take her back to the house and the dad's like, she's been dead for 30 years. <laughs> Me too. I'm a ghost too. Boo. He comes after you. He's like, give me a ride to the casino, young man. And then to the liquor store, you're like, oh, man. you have to chauffeur this ghost around everywhere. Oh, yeah. It's fascinating. I love the world of paranormal. I absolutely love it. And this is one of those things, like, I found this story on X, and while I was trying to research that, I came across this absolutely terrifying 
plane accident. And as I was talking about this story with Sabine, and when I mentioned the people getting sucked into the engine, she goes, well, I mean, would you rather go out quickly? I thought, you know what? Actually, no, I would rather tumble through the night sky. Like, I would rather, like, this is my last moments on Earth. I'm like, see you later, suckers, as they're getting sucked into the engine. I'm like, you losers. And I'm just, like, tumbling through the night sky over Honolulu. Watching the reflection of the moon grow closer and closer. Like, there's something almost poetic about that death. <laughs> if I had my choice, I wouldn't be blown out of an airplane at all. But I, you know, I probably would prefer. I'm all, I'm all going to see. I'm all dancing with Sebastian. I'm all kissing the Little Mermaid. You're like, okay, now you clearly have lost all oxygen to your brain. You're dying. You're just hallucinating this. I'm like, nah, nah, this is all true. I'm playing flounder like a little flute. I'm feeding the chunks of the people who went through the jet engine. I'm feeding them to some shark. I'm like, here you go, buddy. Oxygen deprivation or not, still a fascinating story. Opens up a ton of questions about can ghosts manifest at a high rate of speed. I love doing this show because I never would have thought about that. I never would have even considered that had I not been doing this show. So, guys, I really do appreciate all the support, and thanks for listening. Hey, this shows We're coming up to episode 1,000. I mean, that's... I say that's amazing, but that's not just, this isn't just mine, right? This is ours. Like, it wouldn't be anything if people weren't interacting with it, listening to it, and loving it. So uh, what an awesome journey it's been so far, and we're just getting started. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. TikTok is at DeadRabbitRadio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great day. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.